Father, as always, we're, we were reminded every Sunday that we're not the only ones that you're using to accomplish your purposes. There's a tendency in our churches sometimes to get myopic and uh, kind of lose sight of the fact that you're doing stuff all over the globe. And every week as we pray for another church in the area, we uh, are reminded that you're a big God and we're in this together with other believers. And today we pray for our brother Jerry. We pray for that church there, Cedar Hills Baptist in Jacksonville, that you would do something in their midst today that reveals your power and your glory, that you would, that you would speak through Jerry as he preaches. You know his love for your word and how he loves to study it, and, and he's gifted to communicate it. You know how you've gifted him to lead in worship, and he does that still in that church as well, and he has many different roles and hats that he wears on a weekly basis. Father, encourage him today. Strengthen him this week, and do something that reaffirms his call from you. Lord, thank you for the fact that you love us and you want to teach us here this morning as well. And I just pray for your grace. I thank you for what you did in the first service. I look forward to what you have in mind for us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 30 through 44. That's where we're going to be launching from. We're actually going to be looking at a lot of scriptures this morning. And this is actually part one of a two-part series, which you will see as we track through the scriptures this morning. Where we leave off is where we're going to pick up next week. So Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. It says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And then they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they all sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. And he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Now, we know this story probably pretty well if we've been in church any length of time. We probably know this story inside and out, we'd think. But first off, what I want you to realize is this must be a very, very important story for us. And here's why. The gospel writers record a lot of what Jesus did. The gospel of John tells us that everything that Jesus did wasn't written down. There wouldn't be enough books in the the world to hold everything Jesus did, the scripture says. But there are certain things that are recorded for us. But actually, with all four gospel writers writing about the life of Jesus, there are only three things that all four gospel writers talk about. All four gospel writers talk about his crucifixion, which is understandable. Very, very important part of the life of Jesus. All four gospel writers talk about his baptism. 
how the Father spoke audibly, the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove and the Son was there, and how God confirmed, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. The fact that God was confirming at his baptism that this is the one, this is the Messiah, the prophecies we're talking about. That's an important thing as well. So the scriptures talk about his crucifixion. All four gospels do. All four gospels talk about his baptism. By the way, all four gospels don't talk about his birth. There's only one other story that all four gospels have, and that's the feeding of the 5,000. So it must be important. So I want you to see this morning that actually we think we know this story, but we really don't. Because we've been taught the feeding of the 5,000 as a story by itself, but I want you to see today that actually the feeding of the 5,000 is a reteaching of a previous lesson that Jesus taught his disciples, but they didn't learn it. Now, I've intentionally entitled uh, the sermon, Back to School. Now, I did it for a lot of reasons. One of them is, I knew they were going to put the sign up on, the, the, the sermon on the sign out there on Courtney. And I knew it was going to freak all the kids out. <laughs> I mean, we just got out! Probably freaked a few teachers out, too, at the same time. And let's be honest, how many of us really get excited about the idea of going back to school? I know there are a few of you out there that would think, oh, I'd love to go back to school. But most of us aren't weird, all right? We, we don't, we don't want to go back to school. Actually, people have always said to me, they said, Jim, why don't you get a doctorate? You know, because I got a master's degree. They say, why don't you get a doctorate? And I'll say, listen, the only reason someone gets a doctorate is so that someone will call you doctor. I want my wife to call me master. So I just have stopped at that point right there. Plus... You can ask my kids for years as we, they've gone through uh, school and homeschool and often colleges, they would share how hard school was and how much homework they had and how much work they had to do. My type of parenting was always the same. I'd say, man, you got a lot of schoolwork, don't you? Have I ever told you that I've already graduated and it feels wonderful? <laughs> they would all go, oh, thanks, dad. That helps a lot. We don't get excited about the whole idea of going back to school, but as you're about to see, God was continually sending his disciples back to school and us as well. You see, this story is the disciples going back to school. Go to Mark chapter 6. Look again at verse 30. It says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Now we got to stop. What are they returning from? Where have they gone? Where, where have they been? Well, Mark chapter 6, verses 7, 8, and 9 tells us. Mark chapter 6, verses 7, 8, and 9. And he, Jesus, called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts. You, you can wear sandals if you want to, but no extra tunic. Look closely. Jesus is sending them out two by two, as we see from other gospel accounts, to go preach the good news of the kingdom. And he says to them, here are your specific instructions. You can't bring any money. You can't bring any food. You can't bring a change of clothes. And no ATM card. What was Jesus doing by sending them out on travel that was going to take days, months maybe? We don't know how long it was that they were out. We know that John the Baptist is put to death in that time period between when he sends them out and when they come back and report them everything they did. But what was Jesus trying to teach them when he says, you can't bring any food, you can't bring any money, not even a change of clothes? What was he trying to teach them? 
to trust him and his power and his provision. Listen, he was intentionally putting them in a situation where they couldn't handle it so that he would handle it as they walked in obedience to him for his glory. Actually, he's been doing this all along. Go back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Look at verses 1 through 5. You're going to see a pattern here. Deuteronomy chapter 8, look at verses 1 through 5. The nation of Israel has been wandering in the wilderness now for about 40 years. They're about to head into the promised land. God's instructions through Moses are this. It says, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you testing you to know what was in your hearts, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and he let you hunger and he fed you with manna, which you didn't know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing didn't wear out on you and your feet did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. Don't miss that. We hear the word discipline and we hear punishment, and that's not what the word means. The word discipline means teach. The Lord teaches us and trains us and molds us. And don't miss what God said here. He said, remember how I led you into a wilderness area. Think about this, folks. When God took the nation of Israel out of slavery, out of Egypt, he brought them directly to a place where there was no food and no water. Was his GPS broke? Or was he doing something? He was sending them to school. God said, I have a purpose here. I'm going to humble you. I'm going to put you in a situation to remind you of your dependence on me. I'm also doing it to test you, to see what was in your heart, whether or not you'll obey me. He already knew they would or wouldn't, but the test was for them. And he said, also, I'm trying to teach you, listen closely, how to listen to every word that comes from my mouth. Now, go back to Mark chapter 6. Jesus had already sent them out two by two and says, you can't bring any money, you can't bring any change of clothes, and you can't bring any food. They come back and report to Jesus all that what? They had done. If you don't mind writing in your Bibles, highlight that word, they, underline it, circle it, whatever. That's the key word. They came back and reported to Jesus all that they had done. Had they learned the lesson? No. So he sends them back to school. Look closely at what it says. So Then verse 31, he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Look, where where does he send them to go with him? To where? A desolate place. It even says it again in verse 32. So they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. So they get in the boat and they head to a desolate place. Jesus said, come to a desolate place. So they go to a desolate place. By the way, did Jesus already know that there was going to be a crowd of people that would run around the lake and be there? course. Did Jesus know that the disciples were going to be hungry and wanting to eat? Well, verse 31 said they hadn't even had leisure even to eat. So he knew all this was going to happen. He was setting the stage. He was preparing the classroom. He brought them to a desolate place again. And he knew that their question was going to be, when are we going to eat? So the people, they, they come and they say, hey, it's late in the day, Jesus. Could you send them away so they could go get something to eat? They sound like they're really concerned about the crowd, aren't they? No, they're not. They're just like me. When I'm hungry, 
My wife hadn't made dinner yet. I'll sometimes go, Becky, you look hungry. I'm concerned for you. I don't want you to faint along the way. Can't we get you something to eat? So you, and she knows exactly that I'm not talking about her hunger. I'm talking about mine. The disciples, Jesus knew full well, would be concerned about their bellies. And they come and say, send them away so they can go get something to eat. Look closely at what Jesus says in verse 37. He says, you give them something to eat. Isn't that interesting? He says, you feed them. By the way, it's really clear that he said this. Because go back to Matthew's account. Look at Matthew chapter 14, verse 16. In Matthew's account of this episode, we see in Matthew 14, verse 16. But Jesus said, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Go to Luke's account. Luke chapter 9, verse 13. In Luke 9... Verse 13, but he said to them, you give them something to eat. By the way, John's account of the story doesn't talk about exactly how Jesus worded it. It just said that he was testing them. He already knew what he was going to do. He was testing them. Sound familiar? So in this situation, the disciples come and they say, Jesus, we're concerned for the crowd and we, we want them to go get something to eat. And Jesus says, you feed them. In other words, I sent you without food and without any money. And you came back and told me all that you had done. You sound pretty impressive. I didn't get to see it. Here's your chance to show me what you can do. Knock yourselves out. And he put them in a situation again where there was no food, no money. And he's telling them, provide food. By the way, the reaction was very common. They panicked. They pulled out their calculators. (laughs) NIV words it this way. They said, eight months wages won't be enough to give everyone a bite. We see here in our accounts, here in the ESV, that it said they calculated that it would take 200 denarii to feed everybody. By the way, a denarius was a one day's wage. So 200 denarii is 200 days wages. Over half a year's salary is what they figured it would cost to feed that many people. There were 5,000 men. That's not counting the women and the children. There were over 5,000 people plus. They figured it would take almost half a year, over half a year's salary to feed everybody. I think this is how they worded it because I've been in a few business meetings. It ain't in the budget. You ever heard anybody say that? By the way, we as... Christians should not be surprised that God challenges us to do things that are not in the budget. Because he's forever bringing us back to school, forever putting us in situations to show us the power is not in you and your ability to do this. The power is in me. And I'm going to keep reteaching you and reteaching you and reteaching you. You know why? Because we don't learn it. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me show you something else in this story that's kind of interesting. Luke's account here in chapter 9 helps us. Because Mark's account reads like Jesus had the crowd sit down. But Luke tells us something a little bit more specifically. Look at Luke chapter 9, verses 13 through 16. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we're going to go and buy food for all these people. For they were about, there were about 5,000 men. And he said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, and he had them all sit down and taken the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and he said a blessing over them. And then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. 
And they all ate and were satisfied, and what was left over was picked up as 12 basketfuls. Now listen closely. Now we see even more clearly, Jesus said, okay, I've put you in a situation, I've humbled you, because now you realize you can't do it. I've shown you what was in your heart, because your first thought was, how are we going to do this? Now I want you to listen closely to every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Here are your instructions on what I want to do, and I want you to trust me. He said, I want you to go out into a crowd of over 5,000 people and have them sit down in groups of fifties and hundreds so we can feed them before they go. Now, at this point, all the disciples know is that they've got a little boy's lunch. That's what John's gospel tells us. It was a little boy's lunch. And by the way, it probably wasn't five loaves of Wonder Bread. And it probably wasn't two grouper. Most likely was little cakes and sardines. And the disciples, all they know is, is that's all they have. And they're told to go out into a crowd of over 5,000 people and have them get in groups of fifties and hundreds so that Jesus can feed them before you go. So ask me how in the world this is going to happen. Go ahead and ask me. Don't ask me that question. I don't have any idea how this is going to happen. Let's be honest. They had to go in a group of over 5,000 people and say, hey, would you just trust God said to do this. We don't know how he's going to do it. But you're going to have to just trust him. And we're going to have to just trust him. And then he had them pass out the food. The Bible says he prayed over it. He blessed it. And we don't to this day know how it multiplied. We don't know if it multiplied when Jesus prayed and they all carried big trays. We don't know if it just multiplied as the baskets were passed and never ran out. It might have multiplied as they chewed. I've had food do that as well. But I don't know how it happened. Do you? I'm glad. Because otherwise we'd try to replicate it, wouldn't we? Did they learn the lesson? Actually, how many basketfuls were left over? Isn't that interesting? Twelve basketfuls left over. Way more than they had to start with. And twelve basketfuls were left over. I don't think the number twelve is an accident. I think there was one for each knucklehead to pick up. (laughs) They each had to carry a basket. Did they learn the lesson? No, they didn't. And I can prove it to you. Keep reading with me in Mark chapter 6. Look at the very next verse there in verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. And they cried out, for they all saw him, and they were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, "'Take heart, it's I, don't be afraid.'" And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. Look closely at verse 52. For they did not understand about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. The scriptures here ties Jesus walking on the water to the loaves. The loaves were tied to him sending them out two by two. What did he do when he sent them out on the boat after the feeding of the 5,000, after picking up the 12 basketfuls? What did he do by sending them in the boat by themselves across the lake? He sent them back to school. 
He said, hey guys, tell you what, why don't you just take the boat to the other side of the lake? I'm going to wait here on the side, go talk to the father for a little bit. I'll join you on the other side. They're probably thinking that he's going to walk around the lake just like everybody else had done. But he actually walks on the water. You know why? He's reteaching the lesson. It's my power and not yours. And when he gets in the boat, the Bible says they didn't understand the walking on the water because they didn't understand the lows. Go to chapter 8. He sends them back to school again. Go to chapter 8. Look at verse 1. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat. Sound familiar? He called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd uh, because they've been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they'll faint on the way. And some of them have been, come from afar away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves. And having given thanks, he broke them. And he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full this time. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went on to the district of Dalmanutha. So here we see, again, sending them back to school. This time, they're in another desolate place. There's a crowd. He's been teaching them for three days. And in this time, it's not the disciples initiating it. It's Jesus initiating it. And he says, hey, guys, tell you what. They've been here for three days. I don't want them fainting on the way back because some of them have come from a long way. Let's just feed them real quick before they go so they can have something to eat before they go home. And the same disciples who had seen the miracle of Jesus providing when he sent them with no money and no food, and the same disciples that had seen the miracle when he had provided with the five loaves and the two fish and the 12 basketfuls were left over, and the same disciples who had just seen the miracle of God walking on the water, and even Peter walking on the water for a period of time, Matthew tells us, those same disciples who had seen all this provision, all this power said, how are we going to be able to feed these people? You say, Jim, it doesn't say we. Yeah, it does. Go to Matthew's account in chapter 15. Look at verse 33. In Matthew 15, verse 33. And the disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? That's Matthew's account of the feeding of the 4,000. Their reaction again was, how are we going to do this? Folks, I don't know about you. Actually, I do know about you because God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's been using the same pattern for teaching us the same lesson all the way from the beginning. He's continually put you and this church in situations that are bigger than us to show his provision in his power. Unfortunately, if you're like most people, every time he does it, even though he provides and even though he makes it work out when we don't even know how he did it, but he did it, our next reaction to the next time he sends us to school, when he puts us in a situation bigger than us, is to go, we can't do this. That's the whole point. Jesus did say back in John chapter 15, verse 5, apart from me, you can do what? We can quote that verse, can't we? But we don't live it. We all need to go back to school. Years ago, when my wife and I were first married, we were living in a trailer in New Orleans. We got married in July of 1990. This July will be 28 years. But 
28 years ago when we first got married, our combined income, our first year of marriage, is $5,558. We still have the tax paperwork to prove it. Our combined income was less than $6,000 for the first year. But I remember being a young, brash, young man. Because, you know, I lived in my dad's house for, I was 25 when I got married. And, and I lived in my mom and dad's house. And my dad wouldn't run the air conditioning cold enough. He'd say, no, 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 you're not paying the electric bill. I am, you know. And he'd always keep it. And I thought to myself, buddy, when I get my own place, I'm going to run the AC cold. Little did I know, it's not smart to run the AC at 60-something degrees in a trailer in New Orleans in August. This trailer was 12 feet wide, 62 feet long, and the walls were, no joke, probably about this thick. And when our first electric bill came, buddy, we were in for a shock. It was well over $400. And you have to realize that's that's almost a half a year's salary right there. I mean, it was was a lot. And so what my wife and I started to do was we realized, oh, we better grow up quick and we've got bills to pay. And every month we would lay all of our bills on the little kitchen table we had in that trailer and we'd pull out our checkbook. And remember when people used to balance a checkbook? Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, but it's okay. Um, We would pull out our checkbook and all the bills added up to way more than we had in the checkbook. And we would cry out, oh God. How are we going to pay our bill? And he would say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to trust me. I want you to write your first check to me. And you give me 10% of whatever has come in this month. You give me 10% of that and you write it to me. God, come on. I can't pay my bill with 100% of my paycheck. You want me to pay my bill with 90% of my paycheck? Trust me. I'm sending you without food and without money. And you don't even have enough money for a change of clothes or gas. And I want you to trust me. Folks, and we did. From day one, we've never missed. 28 years of marriage, we wrote that check. And folks, I don't know how he did it. But at the end of the month, all the bills had been paid. And we had money left in the checking account. But you know what happened? The next month's bills came. We laid them on the kitchen table and we added them all up and they were more than we had in the checking account. And instead of saying, that's no big deal. Remember what God did last month? He'll do it again. You know what we did? <laughs> now we're going to pay our bill. By the way, have you ever noticed that God continually over and over keeps putting you in situations where you have to say, God, help You ever notice right about the time you finally get new tires, the washing machine breaks? Anybody else been there? He's going to keep doing it, folks. He's going to continually, health-wise, financially, relationships, whatever it is, he's going to continue to send you back to school. The disciples, by the way, in this situation, still don't learn the lesson. I can prove it. Keep reading. Go to Mark, uh, Matthew chapter, sorry, no, Mark chapter 8. Go to verses uh, 14 through 21. Mark 8, verses 14 through 21. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. Are we starting to see a pattern here? And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned, Jesus cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? 
Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketful of broken pieces did you take up? They said 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Now the disciples are in a boat with Jesus and they've forgotten to bring bread. And Jesus just happened to use the word yeast. And they go, we know why he said yeast. He knows we didn't bring enough food and he's mad. And the Bible says they're all discussing with each other about the fact they only had one loaf of bread. I can picture them arguing going, it was Peter's day. Peter goes, don't put it on me. Tuesday's my day. It's John's day. And Jesus says, wait, wait, wait a minute, guys. Hang on for a second. Are you guys back there arguing about the fact that there's no bread? Remind me. Don't you remember what I did and how much was left over? They said 12 basketfuls. Okay. And then that same situation where I did it slightly different, but still did the same miracle. Do you remember that? How much was left over? Seven. He goes, don't you still get it? Actually, if you remember with me back in Deuteronomy chapter eight, do you remember after God had said how he led you all the years in the wilderness, he caused you to hunger, he made you thirsty, he did it to humble you, to show you what was in your heart, how you'd react. He already knew, but he was just showing you, he's testing you to show your heart and to teach you how to listen to him. He said, do you remember? My solution was something you'd never seen before, nor had your fathers ever seen before. And then he said this, and your clothes never wore out those 40 years. And your foot never swelled. You almost can picture the disciples hearing God say that and going, Hey, he's right. <laughs> Folks, the only way we're going to move forward in faith is if we look back and remember. Amen. Think about your personal life. Think about the life of this church. This first initiative, is this the first time God's ever asked us to step out in faith and to trust him financially and in other ways? No, won't be the last if Jesus tarries either. Our first reaction sometimes is, how are we going to do this? Well, that's a very common reaction, but God says, if you'll trust me and do specifically what I say. I believe the leadership has felt like God said that we're to take out a loan. You say, well, is that trusting God? Yeah. Because how you know you're going to make the payments? Some of you got house mortgages right now. You're trusting God to make those payments, not you. Well, I got a good job. You promise you got that job next year? Or are you going to have to trust him? God's continually putting us in situations where we have to trust him. It's time for us to go back to school. Folks, I just want to challenge you. Go back in your mind and remember all the stuff in your life that he's walked you through as a family. You know, my wife and I, we actually have a photo of the first day that we were heading off as a newlywed couple, heading off to seminary in New Orleans. We had just gotten married. We'd only been married a week or so. We had just come back from our honeymoon. And by the way, the honeymoon was provided totally free by someone giving us their condo in St. Augustine because we didn't even have money for a honeymoon. I did spend $22. I think it was $25 on her ring though, because she was worth it. And, um, <laughs> but listen, we have a picture of Becky and I as a young skinny couple. She's still skinny. 
sitting on the back bumper of my Isuzu pickup truck. It was an Isuzu pup. And the reason we took this picture is we were heading off to our new life of being a newlywed couple, heading off to seminary, and everything we owned, everything we owned in the world fit in the back of that pickup truck. And it wasn't full. Had a topper on it. There was still space. And that even included the refrigerator someone had given us for our trailer. Everything we owned fit in the back of that truck. Do you realize now, 28 years later, we got three awesome kids. We've been able to pay for college without taking out loans. He's provided miraculously. And on top of that, we got five cars in the driveway. And our garage is full of stuff I don't even know whose it belongs to anymore. I don't know where it came from, and I can't wait for it to get out. (laughs) Folks, if you think back, he's taken care of you, hasn't he? Why do we panic like he won't the next time? By the way, this is the message of the gospel, isn't it? This, I'm going to put you in a situation that you can't handle to show you your brokenness, to show you what's really in your heart. And to teach you how to listen to me, that's the gospel, folks. Because the Bible says that God says to all mankind, in order to come spend eternity with me in heaven, you have to be perfect. Here's my word, here's my law, obey my law perfectly, and you'll be in heaven. You do it. Anybody tried that, by the way? How'd that work out for you? You realize you can't. God said, good, I've humbled you. Now, I've shown you what was in your heart. Now, are you going to listen to my specific instructions on how for me to provide this miracle that you need? My specific instructions are this. I have already paid for it. I sent my son as a human. He lived in the human body just like yours and mine without sin. And he paid the price for the sin of all mankind. And he rose from the dead by his own power. And if you, by faith, believe in my specific instructions that he's the only way you can be reconciled to me, I will give you a miracle that you need. And I'll give you eternal life. Folks, for those of us who have trusted him as our Savior, it was the lesson of the loaves, wasn't it? We need him. The bread of life. And he's going to keep reteaching us this lesson over and over and over. Now, this is where we have to stop until next week. I pray you come back because when we come back next week, we're going to pick up right where we left off here. We're going to pick up in verse 22 of Mark chapter 8. You see, because you're going to see next week that the very next thing Jesus does is he heals this blind man. But it's an interesting story. It's one that's actually bothered me for years because Jesus, the Bible says, touches this man twice. The first time he touches him, the guy goes, I see people like trees walking around. The Bible says he touches him a second time, and then he can see. Was Jesus having a power outage? Why did it take him twice to heal this man? I'm going to talk about that next week as we continue our lesson. But for this morning, here's my question for you. What's the situation he's brought you into right now? What's your school classroom right now? What desolate place has he brought you to that you now realize, I can't do this? How is he speaking to you about the first initiative when it comes to either giving or getting involved in ministry? By the way, if your attitude is that, God, I know you, I feel like you're calling me into this aspect of ministry, but I can't do that, that's excellent because we don't want the people to think they can do it. 
But whatever it is that he's brought you to, because I know everybody's involved in one or another, are you going to trust him? Or are you going to try to figure out how to fix it yourself? Some of you are looking for a mate. Are you going to try to figure out how you can make it work? Or are you going to say, Lord, show me specifically what you would have me do? Some of you are needing a financial miracle. Are you going to try to fix it yourself? Or are you going to ask him what he wants you to do? Some of you are in a situation when it comes to relationships or health. I don't know what it is. But are you today going to say, I'm going to fix this? Or are you going to go back to school and learn the lesson? It's his power, his provision, and he can't wait to show off on your behalf. Would you stand as we pray? Pastors are going to be down the front at, at the end of our song for anybody that needs to deal with any issue. But for right now, let's, let's respond in our hearts to what God's saying. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to come and to be used to you to teach this first part, part one of this lesson and this message on being, going back to school. Lord, we've seen very clearly that we're just like the disciples or the disciples are just like us. Every time you bring us to the next classroom and you send us back to school, we have the same reaction. And as we look back and as we think, we've seen you do miracles over and over and over again. Yet we panic. Lord, there's so much more you want to show us next week. But for today, would you give us the grace to be still and to trust you and to listen for your specific instructions and what you would have us do now? And then would we walk in obedient faith to what you said, trusting you to provide your power, your provision? Lord, thank you for the fact that it's all you and none of us when it comes to salvation. And I pray for anybody here today that your spirit has shown them, brought them to that place where they realize, I can't do it. I can't save myself. Lord, would they today believe your promise and what you've already made clear in your instructions? Put your faith fully in Jesus and he'll give you eternal life. Father, whatever it is, however you're speaking to us, during this time of response, this time of worship as we sing, and at the close of the service, as we give opportunity for people to talk to pastors, may we today say, Lord, I trust you. What would you have me do? How would you have me go out into the crowd? What are my instructions? You're going to make this work. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.